Hi and welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith, and I'm joined today by Liam Kennedy. This is a pre-recorded show, uh, so please don't think we're being ignorant when we don't reply to any of your, your questions tonight. We did put a call out over the weekend uh, for questions to Liam's Twitter, and uh, as always, there's been an avalanche of responses. So, uh, how are you doing, Liam? You okay? Yeah, all good. Um, yeah, just it's always busy. There's always something to talk about when you cast United and when I put that question out there on on um, Sunday, there just there was a raft of responses, like you say, loads and loads through Sunday, loads through Monday morning as well. So yeah, I'll do my best to answer all of your questions, and we'll see you again hopefully live next week. Yeah, hundred percent, good stuff. Okay, Rafa fans was first in. He says Graham Jones has a past of improving set pieces. How impressive has it been that he's got Dummett and Kraft scoring from them? And he says, and how come Luke Edwards doesn't mention the impact of Graham Jones and just gives Bruce the credit? He says, I think Bruce is living off Graham Jones's work. So what's your, what's your thoughts on the set pieces in Graham Jones, first of all, Liam? I think it was one of the most obvious things. It's a good question. Um, one of the most obvious things about the first few weeks of, it, of him coming in was, was not only the press and the switching formation, but it was the, the variation from set pieces, uh, lots and lots of different um, variations on corners, on free kicks, etc. And and I think it's it's hard not to connect the two dots and say, look, it is it is probably largely to do with Graham Jones coming into the the coach himself. I think he's been I think he's been a really real uh, positive welcome addition. Um, do I give him credit as well as Steve Bruce massively? Um, I think, like I said, things that I've mentioned there about the press and other things, um, lots and lots of lots and lots of positives. The the, the the thing that I look at Graham Jones and think, um, and really sort of gives us positivity, is the idea that not only have they been able to formulate one particular attacking style, which was the the false nine, the the three up top, the four at the back, but also they've tweaked it and they had the during the international break and they've gone back to the, they've gone back to a five, but it's a different five with the two up front. Two very distinct formation systems and styles of play, and I think for me that's quite quite a positive. Let's let's put any idea of a takeover on the back burner totally, and any development. And if that comes, all, all the better. But if we look at it and just say, look, Steve Bruce was probably going to be the manager. I know he's hinted otherwise recently, but he will be the manager next season. I don't see him walking out, and I don't see him. I don't see a change at the top either. Made by Ashley, should he still be there? So I would look at it and say, will Newcastle United be a better team for having Graham Jones on the coaching staff next season? I think the early signs are, I think he came in in January or February, the early signs are yes. I think they'll be a better prepared side. I think they'll have more tools in their armoury, um, a bit more of an idea. Um, I think I think there was, there was when changes were made at Newcastle under Steve, just purely Steve Bruce and his coaches, it, you never really got the idea there was a, an identity or a, a way of playing. Whereas I, I do feel that there is now. Yeah, I would agree. Um, as regards other journalists, I mean, he's mentioned Luke, but let's broaden the horizons a little bit and uh, look at all journalists. I mean, there has been a, a distinct lack of praise for Graham Jones. Is that because journalists think that it is down to Steve Bruce or is that just the fact that people don't want to get into the same position as some other journalists who find themselves locked out of the ground? No, I don't. I don't think it is. No, I think, and and when I'm going on about Graham Jones here, I do think Steve Bruce deserves some credit as well. And I think there are certain things that he's done, um, which Graham Jones has played a part in. Um, but but putting out fires that were there, the, the Sean Longstaff thing, I think is a big a big one. He needs to put out a fire, put out the fires on Matty Longstaff now, which I think will happen. Uh, the Matt Ritchie one was probably the biggest impact of all. Um, they had a really high profile, big falling out on the training pitch. Um, and then within a few weeks, he's now become become a absolutely key player in this Newcastle United side. Um, and I think I think you can't you can't overlook the manager in that sense. He had to be there to put those fires out, and he was and did it. Um, I did have concerns about that. I wondered whether um, egos would come into this, and, and could any of the men be the bigger man and and put this aside? And they all did for the greater good. They all put those fires. They put those fires out. Um, to make sure that Newcastle United had the best team possible going out on the pitch. 
Um, and it, and it, it's a positive in that sense. Look, do I think Steve Bruce is the answer? Of course I don't. Do I think Graham Jones is the answer? Probably not either, certainly not as a manager. Um, but is he a decent coach? Yes, he's had uh, really high praise from the likes of... I mean, I mean, I know when you're casting it, we're doing the interview process, which Steve Bruce was a part of. Um, he said that the other day. Um, that I do think... Uh, they, they took references from some quite high-profile managers. I know Roberto Martinez was one, um, the Belgian manager. Of course, a long, long work and relationship with Graham Jones, going back to the, the Wigan days. Um, but also, uh, Gareth Southgate, the England manager, was another high-profile reference, um, came forward with a really, really positive uh, reference of Graham Jones. And I think they're working. I don't think they've ever worked together. I think they might have done badges together. I th I'm sure their working connection goes back to something like I think I think he asked uh, when Southgate was at under the under twenty ones. I think he asked for Graham Jones to come in as his number two. So there is there is a possibility now that we could have been looking at an England set up with Graham Jones as one of the key key players, and that had Gareth Southgate had his way. Um, so that's how well thought of he is within the FA set up uh, by, by international managers. Um, and I think he he can take a lot of credit, but by the same token, I think Steve Bruce has, and I think the players have got to take credit as well. Um, Steve Bruce is ultimately manager, so it's 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 not fair. And I've said this on numerous occasions. Look, I'm no Steve Bruce fan, um, but I think it's really unfair to to give all the praise to Graham Jones when things go well, and and all the, when things go really badly, give all the negativity towards Steve Bruce. It has to be a fair crack of the whip uh, for both men. Um, and to be honest, I wrote a piece on that about must have been about uh, six weeks ago, two months ago, saying look. If Jones was the the Messiah and the Savior when he came in, this was when things were going wrong. Then he has to be he has to be criticised now when when they, they they weren't changing things quick enough. But luckily, I think about a week after I'd written that piece, the international break came along. They obviously banged some heads together in the training ground, um, put put um, sort of animosities aside for a, for the rest of the season with the likes of Richie and Sean Longstaff, and, and brought Jacob Murphy back into the side and, and changed the formation. and And it was a really pragmatic approach, and it was something that. I was concerned about at the time. I didn't know if they had that in their locker because they did stuck rigidly to the four three three, which by that point was really not working. Um, without, I think it was maybe without all three of the of the main players, Almiron, uh, ESM, and Wilson. But they did. They changed it, and it was the right thing to do. And and I'm I'm pleased to see that they've maybe got a little bit more strings to their bow in that sense. And I'm 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 actually, oh, I nearly said I'm excited to see. I'm not excited to see a summer um, of what Graham Jones can do on the training pitch, but this is what we are and this is what we've got. So I think I think we'll be better placed heading into next season um, with more tactical nuances, more um, more lines of attack effectively and, and better drilled and better shape about the team um, come August this year than they probably were last year. Yeah, I would agree. And yeah, I get what you're coming from. The start of the season, you know, new you know, new start, you know, and, and chance to work with the players from the off and, and hopefully some new players in. But let's see how it progresses over the over the next couple of months. Hopefully a takeover will come quicker than than we, we you know we're predicting. Uh, Ryan on the takeover says, Is there something or anything that you know which you simply can't say? People always come back after an event and say they knew this or that, back in whenever. So as of today. Is there a strong indication, either way, that you know of, but must not, but must not, but must not, must not speak about? It's easy for me to say. Uh, in these situations, there's always certain things you can say and can't say, and and there are. I wouldn't say that I'm not. Look, I'm not sitting here uh, knowing it's going to happen or or isn't going to happen. I don't think anybody is. Uh, nor do I know any timeframes or any of the uh, exacts of the detail of some of the things that are going on. Um, there's only a select number of people will know that. But are there things that I've been unable to say on this show? Are there things that I've been able, unable to put on Twitter and continue to be unable to do so? Or put in stories in the Gazette? Yes, there are. There are things. Um, I think most people in these situations find that. It's frustrating. Um, in my eyes, I would love everybody to know exactly what I know. Um, and I'm not sitting here with any kind of who I know more than you, or, or that kind of thing, which I know some people do take it that way. But there are there's elements of confidentiality this to this, um, and that's that's just from a journalistic point of view. Um, I'm not talking about legalities or anything like that. I'm talking about 
sources, people that you know who tell you things, and you've got to respect that. They, they wouldn't tell you if they thought it was going to go out sometimes. Um, they have to remain anonymous. Sometimes the information has to remain um, private as well. Um, and that's just the, that's just part of it. That's part of the game, if you want to call it that, the journalistic game, that, that sometimes you'll have to sit on things. Sometimes you'll have to get things out a different way. Sometimes you'll just have to keep shtum. Um, it is what it is. Um, but I do know certain things. But what the answer to that really is, do I know if it's going to happen? And, and no, I don't. Um, do I think it should happen? Yes. I think it should have happened last year. Um, but will it definitely happen? I, I, I couldn't say. I know, Steve, you speak with a more degree of certainty than me, but I, I, I don't know. I just think, I think it should have happened. I think there's nothing, there's, there isn't really any legitimate reasons. There are legitimate arguments. But when it comes down to it, I don't think there are any legitimate reasons why the Premier League uh, were unable to come to a decision other than the fact that legally they couldn't reject it on what was presented to them. Um, and that's really, really frustrating that we find ourselves in that position that the Premier League were tied legally that they couldn't even reject the decision, but they couldn't pass it either, um, which which is obviously why everybody's fighting fighting a legal fight now. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. We've got two separate legal challenges. <clears throat> One which is very much, both very different. Um, and I think maybe I'll talk a little bit about that now because people people kind of blend them all in together as the same thing. But the arbitration is a very different beast to the to the anti-competition action that, that Mike Ashley's taken. And um, the arbitration thing for me, um, the fear was always about the, the makeup of the panel. We've all seen that. Um and Newcastle desperately tried to get that changed because they saw a clear conflict of interest that was thrown out. Um, we've got to remember that what at least one was selected by the, the uh, was was agreed with it by the Premier League. Um, these ideas here that that because this is a private, um, won't be played out in public at all. Um, despite the fact that some of the the uh, High Court ruling was was made public, won't be in public. And that's the biggest fear that. The things can be said and done behind closed doors without the without the public eye and, and scrutiny that comes with that, uh, focusing on it. Um, things can be said and done that, that wouldn't be said and done in a in a public forum. And I think I think that's the biggest fear about the arbitration. And and, and I don't necessarily think that that's Newcastle have got an unwinnable case there. I think anything but by the sounds of it, the bits that I hear, um, they're very, very confident that they can it, that um, if things go in their favour and go well, that they'll win that no, hands down, no problem. And that's every, everything that you've seen played out in the last, oh, since September, everything you've seen played out in the public domain. Um, I've been saying join the dots and things like that for so long, and I, I've taken a lot of stick for it. But there has been a lot of dots, and if you haven't been able to join them by now, you never will. Um, everything that's been done has been an orchestrated campaign. It's been very deliberate, very... Uh, measured um, to get what they want. And I, and I think, you know, if you have a little bit of faith, they might, they might well get what they want, but it's very different to the to the uh, the biggest tank that they fired up, which was the one that was always waiting in the background was the anti-competition, and, and that will be public. Um, you'll be able to watch the first hearing of that, um, the, the, I can't remember exactly, the exact name of it, a case management. Um, that'll, that'll all be organised. Um, and that'll be streamed live. Um, you'll be able to find details of that on the CAT website, Competition Appeal Tribunal website. Um, that'll be quite an interesting prospect. Um, I don't know how their I don't know how their servers will work on that one when there's probably thirty thousand Geordies trying to <laughs> trying to log in at nine o'clock on a on a Monday morning or whenever it may be. I don't know the date yet, by the way. Um, but I think we'll probably find something about that this week. Um, but yeah, I think that's a very very different one. That that's comes with some incredible consequences. Is a little bit could potentially be a little bit more lengthy in time, could be months down the line, could even be a little further, um, depending on how things play out. But that is a is a is a very different legal case to the one the arbitration. It's not, it's an independent thing. It's not a behind closed doors um, Premier League rules thing, which is what the arbitration essentially is. It's uh, it's an appeal of the Premier League's process. It's part of their appeal process in their decision making. Um, whereas this, this uh, the, the cat, the anti-competition is a totally different beast. It's it's outside of this. It's out totally outside of the 
Premier League rules and appeals model. It's not in the framework. It's it's an absolute separate action. Quite an incredible action, to be honest, which I think has been overlooked by a lot of people, that you've got one of the 20 shareholders of a company, um, the Premier League, which I've never seen before. Please come on come on and remind me if I'm if I'm wrong, but I've never seen a Premier League club take take the actual body, the Premier League, to court over their decision making. Um I find that quite an incredible thing. Um seems to be overlooked a lot. But yeah, so the, the thing about it is that the two very, very different things. I think that needs to be stressed. And and anybody out there thinking that they all kind of they're all seeking the same thing is correct. They they all want they're all towards pushing for a takeover. This takeover to get this deal sanctioned, uh, certain barriers taken away out of the process. Um, but they are very, very different beasts. They're not the same thing. And, and they will, both will, will have different consequences. I mean, the compensation thing is a huge thing. Anybody who's daft enough to think that Mike Ashley doesn't want some kind of recompense for all the, all the hassle and money that he's had to spend on top of what he thought was, was a perfectly acceptable and legitimate deal um, is daft. He, of course he does. But that doesn't mean that's his sole purpose because the, the recompense he'll get may well not prove to be the same as, as what, what he would get for the football club. And obviously we know he wants rid of the football club. He's finally had enough of this. And he's finally got somebody to pay what he wants in the fashion that he wants. This isn't like the, the Saudis and PIF and PCP and Amanda Staveley, the Rubens, have come forward with a deal whereby it's, look, we want to buy something off you. He has the money and we'll buy it off you. We've got the money. It's not a problem. It's, there's been far too many where like your Kenyans and others um, where it's been like buying the club on tick. So we'll, we'll pay you, we'll pay you X amount now. We'll pay a little bit further down the line. And then if this happens, you get a bit more. And Ashley just wants, if he wants to sell a football club, he wants, he wants what he's, what it's, what he believes it's worth. And he wants the money up front. And, and the Saudis ultimately were the only ones who, who came forward with that kind of deal. And um, I say the Saudis, it was PCP basically who's done this deal. It's not, it's not the Saudis. The Saudis, um, Saudis are the money men, effectively, but PCP, Amanda Staveley, Murdoch, Adusi, etc., they're the brokers in this deal. And they've presented this to Mike Ashley. And, and, and they all remain they all remain relatively confident that, that things will go in the right direction. Um, I'd love... It's funny because it, it seems like only a short while ago I would have been sitting on this show maybe 12 months ago and Steve would have been talking about the similar type of things and, and, and probably we both might have been guilty of saying... I don't think we'll be sitting here in 12 months' time talking about the same things, but that shows how little control people, even the people that we speak to, etc., have got over this decision-making process. It, it was always potentially going to be long. Everybody hopes in their heart of hearts it wasn't going to be a long process. But here we are, 15 months after the initial story broke, around 12 months after things appeared to change with regards to the actual deal itself. Um, and the ratification of that with the Premier League, and still we're awaiting a decision, and still we don't really have an end post. We don't we don't have a, a target whereby there is a definitive date. We can all sit here and say, right, well, we'll know by then. We'll know a little bit more about the CAC case this week. Um, the arbitration is is absolutely uh, confidential. There's been a lot of leaks throughout this process, um, but with this arbitration, there hasn't been any. There hasn't really been any leaks, and that's the way it should be. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how the process will play out. I, I've just, I, I, people ask me of my confidence, and I think they do the same with you as well, Steve. They always say, are you, are you confident? Are you confident? And I'm always want to say, my confidence is, is largely irrelevant. Whether I'm confident or not in the deal doesn't really matter. But from people I speak to, I would say I've remained hopeful, and I remain hopeful that, that something can be done. Will it be in time for next season? I have no idea. And anybody telling you otherwise or saying it'll stretch further is guessing. They don't know that themselves either. Um, they're just using simple logic. Logic, if you look at it, would suggest it will stretch into next season. The, the time frames have gone so far. If you just use that as a yardstick, yes, Steve Bruce and Mike Ashley probably will be here well into next season. But anybody saying that with any sort of uh, concrete, definitive uh, argument is, is guessing. Because cause if this process has taught anybody anything, it's the idea that things can move and change very, very rapidly, very quickly. And there are so many facets and uh, different avenues with this deal that, that anything can can change it in a heartbeat. 
Okay, Darren's clearly more confident. He says, Liam, the takeover's complete. Newcastle has 500 million to spend on improving the squad. So, who is the first player you would bring in? It's a massive one. I think I think I got asked similar questions last summer. Um, and my answer last summer was Jack Grealish. Um, this summer, who am I going for? Such a good question. Well, he's still playing. He's still playing. Well, I would. I, I've said all along. I'd take Harry Kane. You need a goal scorer, and I would take Harry Kane tomorrow. Um, you know, I'd love to see him break the record in Newcastle shirt as opposed to uh, a Tottenham shirt. But we need a midfielder. Um, James Madison is, is is my is my dream midfielder. I'd love to see him come to Newcastle United. And with regards to centre halves, well, you know, you'd, you'd be looking for a. As long as he comes back fully fit, you'd be looking for somebody like Van Dyke, wouldn't you? So there's my middle sorted out. That's 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 the spine of Newcastle <laughs> United's team under a bright new owner. But uh, clearly dreamland, like. But that's uh, the, you know those are those are the kind of players you'd love to think we could go out and sign. So I think I think the idea was probably look that that's an ideal world, isn't it? And, and I agree with all of those players. Fantastic footballer. I think the idea was that it would be more it would be a, quite a sustainable build. Um, so I think you'd be looking. I know a lot of the talk last summer was maybe a one marquee. We've seen Hammers, we've seen uh, Gareth Bale, um, Edison Cavani was one. There's players in that sort of ilk who, who could come in as like a bit of a flagship. And I think sometimes when you have a new regime, you do need a little bit of that. Although the Cassie United fans, if this happens, aren't going to need to take a lot of convincing in that sense. But I think a sustainable build is probably the, the way that they'll go. Um, <clears throat> and I think you'd be looking. You'd probably be looking at players just out of Newcastle United's reach at the moment. Um, and and I, I look to it and say, signing a player, for example, like Joel Willock, getting him signed up um, under a really positive new regime wouldn't be a bad thing. I really, really like the lad. Um, the defender who I believe Newcastle United probably should have picked up from Norwich last season was Max Ahrens. I like players like that. I think I think signing, um, signing Young... Uh, players who can grow with the football club is is important as well as going for the big star stellar names. So I think somebody like that, looking at players in and around that that category, would be the type of type of signing I would really like to see. Um, but I think I think they need to, I do think they'll need to improve midfield. I think the midfield is probably the, the biggest area that Newcastle the big problematic area. Um, and I, I just don't know enough about the, the markets on the continent to know who you would go and pick up. But in this country. Are there any really, really good defensive midfielders? I mean, you could look to Leeds. You could go and sign Calvin Phillips, somebody like that. Um, somebody who can play properly in the midfield and is an international. But I'm probably looking at players like that rather than just going for the big, big names. Um, I'm being a bit more sustainable. Steve's going for the big names. I'm going for the the, the, the sustained building. I think I think looking at players like that, you probably couldn't go far wrong. But, but midfield needs major surgery for me. It's not good enough. Um, it's not good enough all the way through. Yep, I would agree. Uh, Rafa fans also asks, uh, he had a question at the start of the show, if the takeover litigation goes beyond summer, can you see Mike Ashley being willing to financially back Bruce again with £40 million like last summer, making it £150 million net spend since Bruce was given the manager's job? Or do you think COVID financial damage will mean it'll just be free transfers and loan deals? Good question. It's a tough one because the, the 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 sort of mood music at the minute is saying it probably is they're going to be trying to hoover up the the, the types of phrases and the, the Hendrix that they thought they did really well with in in the last summer window. So I think they're probably going to be looking in that kind of market. And look, I think there is value there, depending on what you're looking for. There's a few players that I would definitely take take one of them. Um, one of them being Andros Townsend, I would take him back. I mean, I mean, I've seen there was some talk with Christian Benteke. He's a free transfer. That, that there are people that all come with baggage, all come with issues. Um, very, few, it looks like there's very few free transfers that, that are that are um, absolutely perfect. But but that was the same last year with Jeff Hendrick and Ryan Fraser. Fraser came with plenty of baggage, and we've seen some of that laid out in Newcastle United. Jeff Hendrick's baggage was the fact that he never really performed or never kicked on at Burnley. Um, from the player that they signed from Derby in the Championship. He'd never really, really kicked on from that and become the player that people had seen at international level years and years and years back. He'd never really done that at Burnley and, and was one of those players that was always liked by the manager, called the people I was speaking down there last summer. But 
I, it was funny. I spoke to a lad who works for works for a paper in Burnley there last summer, and he said, "You know what? Jeff Hendricks, the type of player who will come off the pitch and, and Sean Dyche will, will rave about him. Wow, what a player! Oh, he did really well there. And you'll be scratching your head. He said you'll be scratching your head, looking at him, thinking, "Did he play? Did he? Was he? Was he involved?" And it's funny that because it's seen exactly that when he cast United. We just haven't had Steve Bruce raving about him. That's been the only difference there. Um, but I think they'll be looking at that, those kind of those kind of players. Do I think they can probably squeeze something out of the budget to sign a player? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't necessarily think they're going to be signing nobody, and it'll just be loans of freeze. I'd be surprised. I do think they'll. I do think they'll put cash down for a couple of players, um, and I think they'll clear a couple out as well. There's big question marks over some. If if they make some money on Dwight Gale. Um, and they make some money on uh, well, they wouldn't make money on Dwight Gale but you know what I mean if they bring some money back in for Dwight Gale um, Fabian Shaw might be another um, yeah I think I think they'll still sign players I just I just don't think they'll probably go and sign two like they did last summer I would think this summer with it being restricted it might just be one because they, they shelled 15 and 20 on two players last summer the rest they hoovered up with threes and, and I don't think they'll go that big this summer but there might be one. Um, I wouldn't rule out one because they will have to improve. They, they, they can't expect to stand still as they are and, and not be in another relegation battle because all it's going to take is it's what happens if Alan St. Maximin and Callum Wilson get injured in September and they're out till January, then Newcastle United will get relegated. You'll not be able to turn it around. So you've got to you've, you've got to improve. They've got to make sure that injuries to key players, which will hurt any team, Injuries to key players has got to be not taking Newcastle United from a ten to twelve Premier League side to an eighteen to twenty Premier League side, which is what this does. The injuries to Callum Wilson and Alan to Maximum do that. There needs to be a bit more uh, consistency within the squad. And beyond those, beyond the starting eleven, the starting eleven is weak in some areas anyway. But beyond the starting eleven, the, the depth of the squad is quite poor. Um, particularly in the forward areas. Look, I think Joe Linton, I've taken some stick, I've taken some, there's been some positivity. I think Joe Linton's been um, one of Newcastle United's um, most consistent performers since that West Brom game, which was the start of March. Um, look, he had a, he wasn't very good against Liverpool. Everybody was poor against Brighton. But apart from that, I think he's been I think he's been decent and he's starting to add a little bit of value and he's a player that I'd, I'd already well written off. Didn't believe he had any of the capabilities uh, to make a Premier League player. I still think he lacks a yard of pace. He's actually not. He's actually not slow, but he's the type of player. He's not. He's not a quick off the mark player. It's when he gets moving, he, he takes a few yards, and then he's actually quite. He's got a bit of speed about him, which we've seen against West Brom against their central defenders, Bartley and others, and we've seen against Aston Villa against Tyrone Mings, who seems to be a shoe in for the England squad. But every time I've seen him, he's an absolute liability. I think. I think he's only an England squad because he's got a left foot. I think that's purely it. He's a left foot centre half. Um, but yeah, so so there are players that, that maybe have, have stepped up a little bit. Jacob Murphy being another one, and he's somebody who would definitely tie down with deal because it, it's a no-brainer. But I think I think if one of the key moves, if I was looking at a tight budget this summer, which they are, one of the key moves I would be going was I'll be I'll be asking Fulham now. Look, you wanted to sign Dwight Gale three years ago. We're trying to get twenty million out of you. You know, would, do you want him for five, do you want him for six? He has he has him for six million now. Do you want him? He'll get you promoted. He'll score twenty goals next season. He'll be straight back up. Um, and I think that's the type of deal I'll be looking at. Saying I'll be, I'll be hoping uh, Dwight Gale out to, to West Brom. I'd be who, where he was at on loan. I'd be hoping him out to, to Fulham and anybody who had a little bit of cash um, and want and had ambitions to come straight back up to the league. I'll be sending Dwight Gale there in the because I don't think. Look, if you've got, if you've got. Uh, if you're going to play this formation, for example, you've got uh, St. Maximin and Wilson as your first choice. You've got Joe Linton as a backup. The other two aren't fit for purpose, in my opinion. Don't think Dwight Gill's proven it, that he is he is good enough and always available enough to be a, a solid backup to either of those uh, players. And I don't think um, Andy Carroll's proven that. That's no slight on Andy Carroll because I, I've been on here plenty of times before and I said I think he could have added value at times. Steve Bruce hasn't used him at all. So he's, he's not really worth having in and around a, a squad. A tw- it's only a 25-man squad you get. And he's been sitting there in one of those places. And it's been a little bit of a pointless exercise, giving him a new contract last summer. They probably should have let him go. But I think that'll come this summer. I think they will let him go. Um, and what they need to do is, I would get rid of both. I'd get rid of Carol and Gale. Um, free some wages up. Bring a little bit of cash in, potentially, for Gale as well. 
um, and sign one other. Sign one other. So get rid of those two and sign one decent one who, you know, if you've got those disaster injuries to the, the two front players, you can bring somebody in who you think will do a job. Um, it's not it's not like absolute disaster time when it's Gale and Gale and Joe Linton or, or, or Carol and Joe Linton or, or whoever it may be. Um, at least it's like a, at least there's some kind of plan and, and depth in certain positions. Unify the tune on Twitter uh, asked a question which uh, got a little bit of debate going. He said, provided there's a takeover and stadium upheaval is on the agenda, would you rather <laughs> an expansion of St James's Park? or a completely new stadium build from scratch. And a couple of people obviously given different sides. Sam Army94 said people talk about these people being good for the area. Imagine how many jobs would be lost if we move from the city centre. Clubs and put rely on match day revenue, they would survive. Uh, Andrew Malloy says with the Rubens involved, they might want a new stadium near the race course, then possibly get the Metro there. Paul Sutcliffe says it has to be expansion. We can never leave the cathedral on the hill. And Ivor says, uh, is the ground big enough for expansion? And, uh, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of opinions. We've been down this road before. What's your take on that? Would you build on the new stadium or would you be pro-moving to a, a different location? Look, I, I can see both sides. So for me, I would, if you ask us uh, honestly in my heart, I don't want to see any casting that leaves in James's Park. Um, I don't want to see them leave at all. Um, I think its location is really unique. I think it's, it's a positive influence on the city. It is the beating heart of the city, and I think it should remain. Um, but financial implications when you're casting it to progress and progress and progress as a football club, and we're then held back and limited by by this stadium. And, and it was a case of, you know, there was 20,000, 15,000 people couldn't get into the ground on a match day um, simply because we want to stay in the city centre. Then, then I think. To be honest, I would, that would sway my opinion. Um, but until we ever get to that point, uh, I think I would much rather stay. I'm not sure there are massive ways that you can extend that stadium. I think there's little tweaks and bits and bobs you can do to add a few more on. But like I say, if years down the line and, and everything went really positively and it's all ifs and buts. But we know that fans would flock back. And I think I think if things are going really well at Newcastle United, then 52 probably isn't enough. Um, if things are going really positively... I'm not sure how much more is enough. I mean, you add another 10 on, would that be enough? Possibly. Um, could you do that in the current stadium and would it be financially viable to do so? I'm not 100% certain. I don't know the finances on that. Um, but if it were the case that, that we get back to, to late 90s time and, and I remember I was on the I was on the, the season ticket waiting list when I was a kid for, for a few years um, before I actually got on with the expansion of the stadium. Um so, yeah, if, if we got to that kind of position where, where there was fans, young fans couldn't get into the stadium and it was holding everything back um, just for this romantic idea that we stay where we are. Um, and I get the job implications, I get what you're saying, but if, if it was that, if that was holding young fans back, I would much rather see Newcastle go and build a purpose built 65 somewhere else or a 70 or whatever than, than just hang on to the idea they have to remain where they are. But ultimately, in my heart of hearts, I want to stay at St James's Park. So, that's probably. I don't know if that's giving you giving you the right answer that you want uh, from that question, but ultimately I want to stay at St James's Park. But were it to prove detrimental, um, then I'm not I'm not against moving. Okay, big shout out to our sponsor Spider VPN, who've been with us for the last four months uh, for all your internet security. Just Google Spider VPN, you'll find them at the top of the search list. Also, a big thank you to one of our sponsors for this month, main sponsor Skips and Bins. Dot com telephone 0800 2545 2535 email enquiries at skipsandbins.com website com easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection and there's Sir Bobby uh, of course christened on last week's three amigos and uh, Sir, Bobby. Sir Bobby I think that's brilliant didn't have a name fantastic that isn't it uh, qtechshop.co.uk as well the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle, and of course, the makers of our t shirts, which you can get on nufcmatters.com, uh, including the best selling cult t shirt. And also, a big shout out to John at Jab Signature, who makes all of our flyers. His new range is now available to see on his Twitter account. Just look for Jab 
uh, on Twitter and you will find that there. And uh, a big shout out to the Food Bank Match Day Bucket as well, which will be in operation on Wednesday night. NUFC fans, foodbank.co.uk. That's the match day bucket. You can put whatever you want into that bucket. And of course, that enters you into the prize draw for the watch, uh, the one off watch. Uh, there you go. Nice little watch there. And um, you make a donation, you go into a prize draw, and that will be announced at the end of the season. So uh, get your donations in tomorrow for the match day bucket. Uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, next question then, Liam. Uh, we're flying through them. Yeah, 100% Mag says, Liam, do the Premier League have to respond to the cat case by Thursday? And if they don't, does Ashley automatically win it by default? And uh, Gary Pendleton also asks, do you think we will hear anything regarding the court action this week, Liam, regarding the cat case? Yeah, I think we'll hear this week. Um, and I think it was 28 days past the 22nd of April, so whatever date that may be, I think people are saying it's the back end of this week, so yeah, there will have to be some kind of reply. I think walking down the avenue saying if they don't reply, they will. Um, so there's no point in even walking down that avenue, unfortunately, but yeah, they, they will reply and I expect they'll, they'll, they'll get their gloves on and they'll be up for a fight. Um, that's my prediction on what I think will probably happen. Um, but yeah, I think we'll know more, we'll probably know more in the next few days as to what, what's going to happen with, with that case. Um, and I think we'll know more pretty soon about the timeframes as well. Um, is it going to be a, a, a one that goes really quickly through the courts, like a, like a quick case? Is it the one that, that likes for NUS, NCSL, which case it? Or is it going to be um, a full-blown case, which will take a little bit longer? I think ultimately we'll not, we'll not know that until everything's been decided and we know which way the Premier League are going to take this, how they're going to fight it. But it, it, I mean, if, if anything to go, if, if there are delays in, in the pro, in, in most of the processes so far, or anything to go by, then then look, it might take a while. But but the people, the people who I speak to with regards competition uh, appeal tribunal, I do speak to the, the body itself and and other people um, who've got a lot of knowledge in that in that uh, field, um, and they seem to think it, it it won't take a long time, no matter which way that goes. But look, don't hold me to that because I I don't know. I'm not a legal expert. Um, you probably have to go to other podcasts for that kind of thing. I know there's there's a few legal people kicking around at the minute, but I'm no legal expert. So if you come at me with exacts on legal questions, it's, it's a really difficult one for, for me to answer. But there are other people out there who give you straight as a die answers, even though obviously it's all confidential and we don't know the case in process. Yeah. Yeah, be careful where you get your information from. I think what that's what um, you know. What would advise um, and don't get too carried away. Wait and see is probably the best information that we can give anybody with regards to the takeover. But uh, we're very positive still at NUFC matters, and, and for for good reason. I think we've just got to hope that it goes through. I think that's what we all want in the end. Tom Dixon says, "Do you think ASM will leave Newcastle?" in a swap deal for Willock in the transfer window. Lots of speculation about ASM uh, being linked with all the big guns as usual. Um, obviously, we had uh, you know fears halfway through the season when he was injured and then didn't seem to be flavour of the month where you know reports of dressing room spats were never con you know never completely verified. But you know, a lot of question marks over ASM. But when he came back in alongside Wilson, certainly changed the course of our season and helped keep us up. But any news on that yet? Is, uh, you know, any you know any feeling from you on on ASM and, and whether he'll remain a Newcastle player this summer? My feeling on it is, I think if if the player could secure a move and somebody put money down and was it was a progressive move, I think the player would go. Um, do I think that's necessarily going to happen this summer? I'm not. I'm not 100 percent certain. Um, he's still a, he's still going to cost a lot of money to buy answer maximum for Newcastle. It's going to cost. Um, I mean, this is me just speculating again. So they bought him for 16. You would expect they'd want more than double what they paid for him. You'd expect they'd want probably 40 million plus for the player. Um, and is there that kind of money kicking around this summer? Um, well, yet to really know. I think every club's been hit by COVID. Some have rich benefactors who just absorb that themselves and keep kicking on. Um, others, like Newcastle United, will not. Um, and could could announce maximum go and, and free up some some room to improve elsewhere? Like you say, could Joe Willock be used as a bit of leverage in, in any deal? I've never heard that Arsenal are interested. Um, 
I think people immediately look at French players and, and link them because of their, their historical um, sort of movement to, to Arsenal and, and Wenger, and that's still probably linked those type of players. But I've never heard any talk of Arsenal at this stage. Could be the case, but I think if the player could go, he probably would. Um, but that doesn't mean he's unhappy. I think he's still he's still enjoying his football here. Um, but it's just ambition, isn't it? And I think you talk about Willock as leverage. I mean, would a Joe Willock really be happy on coming to Newcastle United when he sees probably the best player that he plays with in training day in, day out, heading the other way? I mean, is that the type of ambition that a young lad who might have the choice of signing for four or five clubs, you know, might have a chance to go to a Southampton or might have a chance to go to an Aston Villa or somebody like that? Is that really the ambition that, that Newcastle United would show? And that's for that reason, ultimately, I suspect that St Maxim will probably remain until uh, probably the next season. Um, just because I think it's a difficult market this summer, don't think Newcastle will be willing to sell us. I don't think they want to sell Alan St. Maxim. Um, I don't think they want to sell any of their key players. Um, but bound to see Miguel Almiron talk again, but I think he'll be here as well. I think this summer is going to be more of a case of keeping what you've got and just trying to add little bits to improve. Um, I think the loan market's going to be key. I think Newcastle have had mixed success in the loan market, but you know, January loans have had a few decent ones recently. I mean, you just look at Debravka was a loan initially and you look at uh, Joel Willock and others. It's it's a market that they really need to, need to tap into and I, and I hope they do this summer. If money's not there, you can still get good quality players by putting down, you know, three or four million up front and then taking them on loan with it with an option at the end of the season. I, I don't see any reason why Newcastle couldn't do that. They, they wanted to do that with like a Ross Morley last summer. I think in the end, they've probably got a better one in Joel Willock because Barkley hasn't really... It worked out for six weeks. I saw at Aston Villa and he was the talk of, talk of the Premier League for, for the start of the season, but really dropped off a cliff. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek was another who was, who's been linked with Newcastle United since Benitez was here. Um, has he really pulled up any trees at Fulham? I know he's been played as a striker out of position at times, um, but a relegated side didn't perform all that well. Look, I think Newcastle United used the loan, the, their loan slot really well in January. And I, I'd like to see them maybe use a couple more um, this summer. Yeah, OK. Next question from Michael Entwistle. He says, do you think if the sale doesn't go through with arbitration, etc., that actually you look to push a sale to any other potential buyers? Or are we back in his hands for the foreseeable? Money. Just depends on money. That's That's the thing. So there will be plenty of people who want to buy Newcastle United Football Club. Um, and I think there are some reasonably legitimate ones sniffing in and around and have been for quite some time, but they've been getting short shrift from, from the club because this is the only deal on the table. And, and, the, and the thing is that the reason why that's the case, and people might look and say, oh, well, I wish he wasn't doing that because I don't think this will go through. The reason they're doing that is because they see no reason why this won't go through. That's why they're fighting the way that they are. They've not seen any legitimate reason as to why given what they've provided, given what they've been asked for, given the communications that have gone on between the two sides, and we're talking here, when I say two sides, the Premier League and the Football Club, who have been doing all of the dealing, effectively, on this deal. Everything goes through Mike Ashley's legal team, the Football Club, and is then passed on to the buyers. Um, so Mike Ashley has been dealing with this firsthand all the way through and knows that he's answered the questions that have been asked of him. Um, and of the football club and knows that the buyers have done the same because it's all gone through his legal team's hands. So that's why he's fighting so much for this deal. Do I believe he would sell? Yes, I think he would sell to somebody else if this all collapses. I think he'd be really keen to. But is there anybody else out there who's willing to say, right, he has £310 million, pound, £320 million pound down on the table and you'll have, it in your, you'll have it in your bank by this afternoon if the deal gets passed? Has there been anybody really who's gone down that avenue? And, and I think that's the, been the problem, really. That you've, they've had a lot of offers of he has a hundred million, and then you'll get a hundred million next year and a hundred million the year after, and that's really dangerous territory. That's like your leverage buyouts. It's, it's all that kind of thing that we've, we've all been uh, guilty of criticising, rightly so, in recent weeks. And I just I think I think there would be willing willing buyers, but other other people with money and uh, just the, the the capacity that, that the Saudis etc. and PCP have got, and I just don't think there is. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean we'll be stuck. He could, he could, he could finally break and say, you know what, I, I really just want to get rid of this football club, and might sell it to somebody who who'll do a a buy now pay later, like Kenyon and, and uh, GACP Sports and Joe DeGrossa and those type of play, players who were linked 
um, in the last uh, 24 months. That's what they were trying to do. They, they, they didn't want to buy it outright. Um, they've been trying to do the same at Southampton for quite some time. And you're just, you're just running down the wrong avenues there. And, and that would be such a so disappointing thing for Newcastle anyway, is that this was the this would have been, if it does fall, this would have been the chance. It's the one it's the one willing buyer with loads of money and, and wants to build a sustainable football club and people who really get it to go into some potential chances and dodgy characters and people you're not sure about. And, and look, I just look at that GACP Sports and, and Joe de Grossa, for example. Bordeaux could, I think Bordeaux could still get relegated next next week. And that's all been in their mess. They, they bought the club years ago and sold it back on only this season. And they might get relegated from the top division in, in France with money troubles. And, and all they've done is sell good players and bring in free transfers. Um, there's been problems there. So to, you, you go back to, you swap, you might you might end up swapping a Mike Ashley for a Mike Ashley light, you know, somebody who's, who's maybe not even as good as Mike Ashley. And that's, that's the problem when you get in the realms of change. I would roll the dice. I think a lot of people roll the dice. And I remember saying that on numerous occasions before the Saudi tour. But now you've been promised the, you know, the riches of the Saudis. It's 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 going to be a real, it would be a real hard one to take for a lot of people. I, I imagine if this did fail, because you do paint a picture, and you do start to feel it, and you do think, well, it could. It's not dead. It's still there in the future, and that's true. But I think it would be a really tough one for anybody else coming in after that to to live up to those kind of expectations. Uh, more player questions. Uh, this one comes from Arma Mac on Twitter. Uh, it says, Dear, uh, Dear Liam and Steve, thanks for the precious job you're doing. Question. Florin Lejeune has had some has a great season in Al Alave. Uh, would you rather accept a good uh, offer and sell him or keep him? If we ever sold him, are there any names targeted to strengthen the defence? Thanks in advance. Uh, I don't think he will stay at Newcastle United. I think he'll be sold this summer. I don't think Steve Bruce has ever been really enamoured with him. I think I'd go back to conversations. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast for any regular listeners will know that I remember Steve Bruce in a press conference. I was I was at. He did say that thought it had been suggested to him that he thought he, he was talking about having a really good group of centre halves and Lascelles, Clark, Fernandez, <clears throat> Shaw, Dummett. And then he said, you know what, the best the best one I'm told is yet to come. And that was when Florian Lejeune was out. This was very early in his in his uh, Steve Bruce's Newcastle career. And then when he came back in, I think he threw Lejeune in and Lejeune takes, he's a type of player who seems to take a little while to get up, up to speed and never really got up to speed, struggled largely, got injured again, came back in, struggled again. And I think Steve Bruce has largely made his mind up on Florian Lejeune. I think there's people, a lot of people holding hopes he'll come back and and, and probably do his last year here. And I'd be surprised, to be honest. I think he's one of them players that they will probably get an offer for. They'll be able to make a little bit of money. And it, it's it's disappointing because I, I quite like him as a player. Um, look, he's not he's not he's not world class. He, you know, he's not. We're not losing something amazing. He's very one paced. He, he does he struggle at times with the speed of the Premier League. Um, a good football and sent off, really good technically. Um, but can get done quite easily, and I think, I think him and Shaw have got those uh, really posit- lot of positives to their game, and but some negatives in a sense. But I would argue that Shaw's probably better suited to the Premier League than, than Florian Lejeune has ever proven. Um, and, and if I was going to keep one of those two, it'd probably be Fabian Shaw. Um, but I think centre half is probably one of the areas that Steve Bruce is going to address massively this summer. And I think Florian Lejeune will probably be a. a one of those players who goes, Shaw could be another, Fernandez could be another, and I think I think we'll probably see him targeting. He looked at Rob Holden last year. I'm not massive on Rob Holden, I don't think he's that good. Um but I think you'll probably be looking in that kind of market again to get it, I would think at least one centre half through the door at Newcastle United this summer. And question we've asked been asked before, Newcastle Brendan on Twitter says with Adam Armstrong having a sell on close in his contract, do you think he would be worth having back if we could get him for twelve million? As I think he would be better than Gail and Carroll. Uh right. So so yeah, I mean if you were to if you were able to do some kind of deal where you get, get those two out and bring in Adam Armstrong in and he was available for that kind of price, then I would take a risk on him, yeah. I would take him back. Um because that's the type of striker that you're probably going to be looking at, is you're going to have to look at somebody who's available, is a decent price. And I think Armstrong would tick a lot of boxes in that sense. Um, 
But the only thing with Armstrong is he's not proven in the Premier League and that would be the risk. Um, but are you really going to be able to go out? Are you really going to be able to shift to Dwight Gale and, and, and uh, Andy Carroll and bring in another Callum Wilson, um, who's Premier League proven, top player at that level? You know, it's it's not an easy one. Uh, Aston Villa went and paid £30 million for Ollie Watkins last year, who never scored a goal in the Premier League. And that's that's what you're probably looking at. So can you look at an Adam Armstrong, who's got a similar goal-scoring record to what Watkins had last the season before last last season, then yeah, probably it, it is your Armstrongs. That those are the type of players that people are going to be looking at. Your Armstrongs and your Tonys, they were both at Newcastle United, um, and I think Tony's probably going to be a thirty million pound plus player. Um, Adam Armstrong, could you get him in for much less? Yeah, you potentially could. And 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 with a with a reported forty percent sell on clause, Newcastle United could get him much cheaper than a lot of other football clubs. So, I, look, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, the only thing is, if if the money starts creeping up and Adam Armstrong suddenly becomes a £20 million player, then I think I don't think he's even going to get looked at by Newcastle. Like I say, I think that would take up most of their budget. Um, so, no, I, I, I can see it. Um, and I pro- it, like I say, he's in that bracket. He's in the bracket of players who, who they've, all, they've, all got, they've all got a risk about them, but that's probably the type of strike Newcastle they're going to have to bring in. Um, and would I swap for Dwight Gale? Yes. Would I swap for Andy Carroll? Yes. So the simple answer is, would I bring him in? I would look to, but the price would have to be right. Okay, Jonathan Bell says, Liam, the feeling a couple of months ago uh, seemed to be that time was crucial and the summer was essential for progress. Now it seems a bit more relaxed. PIF are here, but it could still take a few more months and maybe not for the new season. Anything behind that shift? Uh, Well, I think there was the biggest shift for me was one of the, the... a real and present danger to any deal, which I've, I've said throughout this, was relegation. So Newcastle United have taken that off. I think you could see that by the social media reaction from the types of people who are involved. Yannick DeMarco's, Murdoch Caduceus. I think those people uh, showed a clear sign of relief. There was a relief that, that that was just one little headache that was taken out of the way. It wasn't the biggest headache. The biggest headache is getting this deal passed through the, the correct legal channels. Um and, and, and asking on time frames again, I'll probably answer this a little bit earlier. It's really impossible for me to say. Um, even the people involved, like the types of names that I mentioned, don't have any control over over time scales. Um, that control is out of their hands. And do I think do I think we'll see progress? I think we'll I think we'll know more about the deal by the end of the summer. Um, do I think we'll have a deal? It is possible. You can't rule it out. Um, but is it definite? No, no, it's not definite at all. And could we still be sitting here in 12 months' time having the same conversations? Um, God, I hope not. But really, using the, the last 15 months as a yardstick, yes, that is also possible. It is absolutely possible. So we'll just, again, as Steve quite rightly said earlier, um, just got to wait and see. Just got to wait yeah. and see. It's hard to put it in the back of your mind, and I'm not suggesting anybody should do that. But it's probably the best approach, really. I can't do it. And I know a lot of people will probably say the same thing, that they can't either. But it's just going to have, we're just going to have to deal with, deal with what you can deal with. Look, and, and what, what we're dealing with at the moment is fans will be back by the start of next season. You can impact that. How are fans going to react to Steve Bruce? How are they going to react to the players? It's been a long, long time since fans have been in there. There's been a lot of water under the bridge. Um, how much pressure is Steve Bruce going to be under? Are you going to get your ticket again? These are the type of things that, that we could kind of concentrate on, on and deal with. Um, and the transfer window, um, things will happen. It might not be exactly what you want to happen, but Newcastle probably will sign three or four players, I would suspect, this summer. Um, I think they need more. I think they need major surgery in certain areas. I don't think we're going to get the major surgery that the team requires. Um, but yeah, with regards to takeover, it's, it's one of them that as best you can, it's best to put out your mind because... Time frames, there is no control over this and, and there's no way of knowing whether something will break tomorrow, next week, a month's time, six months' time. Um, we've just got to hope that things continue moving in the correct direction and we will hear some kind of news, I would suspect, this week with regards to time scales on the case, with, with regards to case management, things like that. Last question goes to uh, a football page or a Newcastle page on Twitter. It says, why does nothing ever come of the young next big thing players that we sign, like the under-23s, uh, Tourier, Sorensen, etc.? Is it bad coaching? He says, there are very few who actually make it. I can only really think of Tim Krull. Why do you think that is? 
I don't know. No, only Cassinated's it. It's it's a it's a fault of the scouting system, I would say. Um, that that they're not really picking up the best players, and and even sometimes when you do pick these players up, they don't always turn out to be what you think they're going to be. Um, you Cassinated aren't hoovering up the best players around. That they're, they're feeding off the scraps off others because the best players have normally been picked up by one of the top clubs. Um, Chelsea have an incredible scouting system of picking players up from every here, there, and everywhere, and a number of other teams do as well. Um, but Newcastle are only in that bracket. Um, they're, they're basically taking a chance on players, and and, and ultimately the, the success rate is probably about right. You know, probably one in ten of those players probably get makes it, and that's probably you know even for all of the extension extensive scouting systems of a lot of the bigger clubs, they're very similar too. They don't all make it. The, the wonder kids of of you know Slovakia or whatever that you might be able to hoover up or very cheap. Don't always turn out to be the players that you think they're going to be. Um, on the ones at the club at the moment, I've never seen enough of Sorensen to make a definite prediction on him. But I've never seen, never thought he was any more than a bit of a poacher. Um, and, and to be honest, Toure for me just isn't good enough. Um, that's not look. Look, I'm not criticising a young lad here. That's not yeah. saying he's not good enough to be a footballer. What I'm saying is, do I think you've been a Cassie United centre forward in years come years to come? No, I don't. I don't think many of the players kicking around the youth teams at Newcastle at the moment will either. But that's life. That's what happens. A lot of these players don't make it at Premier League football clubs. The success rate of become, to become from a youth player to become a Premier League footballer is absolutely minuscule, the success yeah. rate. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. Do I think Yannick Toure will make a player somewhere else? And do I think uh, Elias Sorensen will make a player somewhere else? Of course they will. They'll make professional careers in football. And there's nothing wrong with that. But are they going to be any Cassini players? I would be very, very surprised. Either of those two comes back from what I've seen of them for the 23s. Um, there's some players there with a chance. I've seen Ali Hansen. I've seen enough of him to think he will. There's a couple of other good young mid- midfielders in and around the, the, the squads. But with regards to centre forwards, there hasn't been. Um, and I, I don't know. Any Cassini do have a, a consistent history of maybe once every summer picking up a young player that you think oh could I think I think they've done one already this summer with with Bondswell the left back who was at Leipzig and and uh, Nottingham Forest I think before that plays in, as an England youth international can he be the next thing I don't know or, or will we will be talking we'll be putting him in the bracket of like you say Yannick Toure or put him in the bracket of whoever there's been there's been numerous ones Fabio Zamblera and all these type of players they, they've always done it and, and I don't know I think it's a hard, hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to judge. It's hard to, to find young players. And I just don't think Newcastle have always got it right. But the success rate is probably quite comparable to, to other football clubs in the same bracket. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, just about there, one last quick question, quick question, quick answer. Northumbrian Graham says, Steve, can you ask Liam if he thinks it would be a good call for the legals to call up Hoffman? Should it get the court or to make it known that they intend to? Cheers. I don't know. I can't answer that one. Unfortunately, I have no idea. I think, I think, um, I think what we'll probably see is is all of the key figures. If this ever does go to court, because all of the key figures have to become accountable for things that have gone on, and um, whether that means they'll be up in a, at a stand in court, for example, I don't know. Um, but but the name you mentioned, Hoffman, well, that's like masters, um, probably executives from Premier League football clubs, other ones as well, who might have been involved or implicated in this process. Uh, people from BN Sports, uh, other sponsors who may well have voiced concerns or try to influence decision making. I think all of that kind of thing will probably come into play. But definitely, do I think uh, Hoffman, for example, will be called? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not 100 certain. Okay, mate. Great stuff as always. Thanks for doing the pre-record. Uh, as as we say, we will be back live next week, probably doing a season review, looking back on uh, how Newcastle's season panned out. Follow Liam Kennedy at Liam J Kennedy twenty three, and uh, make sure you log on to the Shields Gazette and read everything that him and Miles Starforth do uh, across there. But uh, as always, Liam, great to have your company, and I will see you next Tuesday, mate. Take care. Cheers, Steve. Talking to myself again 
community all year. 